happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up. In darkness, from the ones who walk in light. Light 'em up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow out of sight. And this is Jennifer Stone with Stones. And today is April the 20th. Yes, yes, indeed. Thursday's Earth Day, folks. Yes, poetry, pagans. A wonderful day today, I think. I think I have to talk about the movies. I, oh, I wish they'd go away. Yes. Mel Gibson is out there healing his wounds. Bloody hell, Mel. Holy paranoia. Actually... I, I was thinking all week, um, I'm muttering to myself, Hamlet's line to the grave diggers, yes. How absolute the knave is. <laughs> is this the way to handle your pain, Mel? Easter weekend, um, Mel Gibson appeared on CNN. There was a special on his movie, you know. It seems to have disturbed a lot of people. And uh, Mel stated that the passion of the Christ is his meditation on life, his attempt to heal his own wounds. Those are his words, yes. Mel quit drinking not long ago on the advice of his wife. His movie is kind of a portraiture. Um, Mia Morgenstern is the one I remember. She's memorable, memorable. She's uh, Mary, Christ's mother. Um, all the women in the picture, are more or less mute. That's a thing that uh, Mel is very good at. He finds beautiful actresses, women who can express themselves without speech. <laughs> They're iconographic. The whole movie is iconographic. The stills, I think, are fascinating. Um, the women are pure. we got a kind of a Madonna horror complex, of course. Um, Mel Gibson's vision uh, includes... A demonic figure, I don't know whether it's Satan, the Antichrist, the devil. Um, I don't know if there was a devil in the Gospels. Anyway, uh, I think um, the silence of this creature, this this um, haunting, horrible presence, is broken at the end of the picture when this um, figure starts shrieking. Uh, it's a paranoid presence, I think. It haunts the movie. I kept thinking about it the other night. Uh, during the scourging scene, you know, the scene when they uh, take all the flesh off Christ, um, this figure, this demon, carries in her arms a, a dwarf. It's got a hideous Fellini-esque visage, yes, a visage, you know, of a monster. 
Gibson's choice of this kind of perverse infant figure, this image, made me think of the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey. You remember Stanley Kubrick's movie, uh, 2001? You remember that baby in the bubble at the end of the picture? 1968, yes. The year when the world came alive again. Ah, it was a promise, that baby. Promise of an intergalactic intelligence, yes, floating through space, heading towards Earth. Perhaps to bring about another great leap forward in human evolution. 1968. How sad, how sad to think about that. Uh, ah, just last week, a young woman I know asked me, she said, Do you believe in God, Jennifer? Well, I hesitated. I told her, well, I damn sure believe in metaphor. So then we had this talk about the ways in which human beings find the symbols or the metaphors they need to justify their needs and desires, you know. Voltaire is the one who said that if there were no God, it would be necessary to invent him. You know, a sky boss is a convenient authority figure, especially in dark times. <laughs> now, this young woman knew these arguments, but I could see that she still wanted to know if I believed in any of the tenets of the Christian faith. And it's a kind of a language problem, I told her. I said, you know, words create our thoughts, our ideologies, our belief systems. Uh, we make it up to suit ourselves. It's pretty much a semantic soup. Uh, there's a line in D.H. Lawrence uh, in a poem. D.H. Lawrence once wrote, Only that which is utterly intangible matters. Now, I used to give students that sentence and ask them to figure it out. We know, of course, what he means. He means that matter doesn't matter, that the mystery is all that matters. Well, he had TB. Pity the poet, you know, words fail you in the end. We strangle trying to explain ourselves, but... Words, words always trip us up. They're so clever. I stopped paying serious attention to Christian teaching when I was told about original sin, you know. <laughs> it just, it doesn't compute. I remember being told that we are born of woman's sin, the original sin that comes with us into this world. What's his name, that fundamentalist Dobson? He was talking to the younger brother of Rush Limbaugh, David Limbaugh. Uh, on uh, uh, C-SPAN the other day, and they both agreed that uh, without original sin, you know, the tenant of their faith, uh, uh, they wouldn't be uh, valid Christians. A Greek scholar once told me that it's all about the translations, you know, translations of the Bible. The Greek word, he said, should have been translated not as sin, but as error. <laughs> yes, very new age, but it also seems to me pretty basic. Um, Catholic sin does seem to be something not, certainly not pagan. Uh, 
an error makes sense to to my mind. But we know that the feelings behind words uh, are pretty pretty direct. Pretty well. Let's see. I'm trying to think. Um, there was a word we used to use over and over and over again to see how it made us feel. It was a Buddhist exercise, you know. And uh, I can't remember. You know, you have to pick a word that is particularly precious to you. Uh, I liked the word lover, but then I changed my feeling about that word. Uh, there is a feeling in uh, misogynist minds, misogynist souls, a feeling that condemns the feminine, the woman, the feminine principle. Uh, you know, when you use the, the language, uh, the... Feminine connotations are negative. It's This is the history of patriarchy, you know. Um, in the end, the young woman decided that I was probably an anarchist, she said, because I believed, she said, believed, had faith in Buddha, Jesus, Gandhi, and all the compassionate prophets in human history, but that I rejected the orthodox institutions that use these beatific celebrities, they are celebrities, we celebrate these individuals, uh, the institutions use beatific celebrities to establish cults and guilds and religions and churches and businesses, call them what you will. They are like the modern corporation. Now, an institution can be benevolent, or malevolent, can be greedy, or it can be compassionate, you know. Uh, but the essential thing is that the institution dominate the lay population. You have the clergy and the laity, uh, you know, the rulers and the rules. If you're going to exploit people, you've got to get organized. Christianity itself is kind of hard to defend or condemn, the Franciscans were cool. Today, somebody said that the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations, try to patch up the crimes of corporate feudalism. Yes, that's the pecking order of today. Uh, it's so odd, you know, even Buddhists are capable of corruption. Last night, KQED began um, the first part of a two-part series on Martin Luther. <laughs> the fellow who started the Protestant Reformation, yes. Uh, he didn't approve of um, the sale of indulgences, yes. You could buy your way into heaven. I often wonder if we're not still trying to do that, yes, buy our way into heaven. Uh, it seems that religions it get started, they get off the ground in movements that stress compassion. Uh, some of the early Christians were quite feminist, actually. There was a mass that began as a feast, you know. The women prepared lots and lots of food, and they ate it in the home around a nice big table. We all know what this is about. But by the time the real food had been reduced to a wafer, very dry, yes, the abstract idea of Patriarchy had taken over, you know, uh, just um, uh, symbolism. As D.H. Lawrence writes in his book, The Man Who Died, 
It was only the corpse of love that uh, Christ offered, yes, that last supper. In um, the D.H. Lawrence novel, The Man Who Died, his Christ survives the cross, gets well, and finds his way into the arms of Isis. And like the wounded Osiris in the Egyptian myth, he is put together again by a woman's love. That's a neat trick. Yes, I've always liked that story. But a pagan or feminine theme is still subversive, still in today's culture. You know, that's that's not the orthodox way. Um, I usually get serious complaints from um, orthodox Christians when I chat up these matters. Uh, of course, it's out there, you know, this goddess culture. But it's not a male stream notion. The male stream story today, the master narrative, this is the story all about militarism. It's on every radio station all day long, yes. It's about vengeance and the way of the warrior. Um, even, you know, even when we are uh, against the war, the story is still always about the violence. I mean, look at Bush and the rest of the boys. You see, this is all about their manhood or lack of it. Osama and his ilk call it their dignity. Yes. <laughs> Most mass murderers call upon God to sanction their crimes. Uh, Gandhi wrote that God has no religion, but he also stated that the truth is God... And we know that the first casualty of any war is the truth. Um, I think that um, today's mass audience reflects the the retro or reactionary warlike, violent, aggressive culture. Uh, I think Mel Gibson has his finger on the pulse of the people. I'm sure uh, film buffs remember a movie called Mephisto all about the guy who took over the theater in Germany, in Berlin, during Hitler's reign. Oh. <laughs> His Hamlet looks exactly like a Wagnerian opera, yes. Yes, it's like a politician, you know, you have to follow the people. Uh, they will lead you on. And it apparently is uh, back to blood and myth. This seems to be what's going down in the 1930s. Francisco Franco's fascists cried, Long live death. Uh, sadism is such fun. Uh, if the mass psychology of fascism is based on dread, on fear, terror, uh, the threat of punishment, then Mel Gibson may just be on to something. Uh, during the Dark Ages when Christianity was at the center of Western consciousness and unconsciousness. This threat of evil, the evil one, it ruled men's and especially women's lives. Heretics were simply burned, yes. There was some <laughs> some effort to burn Martin Luther. Uh, he got away. Mm -hmm. Cruel rulers did God's work. For him, yes, drove out the devil. Very busy here on earth, these guys were. Absolutes ruled. Uh, religious ritual, bloody sacrifice, 
these uh, these are things which pay homage to the unknown. Uh, you know, we, we try to placate fate, especially when uh, you've got the Black Plague to worry about. And today, of course, we have... Uh, Oh, plenty of plagues, the four horsemen of the apocalypse riding hard. The void looms over us. The TV shrieks with terrorism. Never mind the reality. Never mind the fact that while several billion people do suffer, suffer the violence of poverty, all kinds of violence, there are also um, several billion who live better than at any other time in history. <laughs> it's interesting to see how anxiety reigns at the top, especially among the affluent. Is this because they dread the horrors that they see? You know, there but for the grace of God go I. <laughs> it is only God's grace that saves us from a wretched life? Of course, most evangelicals think that they saved themselves with their hard work and self-reliance. Yes, that's the authoritarian mindset. You know, I'm in control here. <laughs> and that's why I'm, yes, successful. That's why I'm not among the wretched of the earth. Uh, I think, um, I think some people truly feel anxiety because they have a desire for universal justice that they think maybe we should share and things should be fair, you know. Compassion would seem to be enlightened self-interest, you know. A desire to live within a community of equals. Seems to me that that's what a liberal education teaches us. Uh, civilization is not just a frill, not just a a luxury. Uh, so how does rational choice, the rational choice, the wise choice, how does that capitulate or give way to our darker impulses? Is this human nature a constant? Has it always been this way? That's what most um, right-wingers will tell you. Yes, that, <laughs> yes, we're born bad. We have to root out uh, the bad stuff. Does this stuff come out of our evolutionary past? I always think what a joke it is when I hear these guys talking about flight or fight responses. Isn't much help when your local school board is being taken over by creationists, you know. Uh, rational choices. It's no use. It's no use. Uh, Mel Gibson has put his sadism on the screen because the world around us uh, is confirming this vision every day. It works. His most Catholic convictions find expression in his art, if that's what it is. Uh, Gibson deplores the modern Catholic Church. He says that transubstantiation is neglected you know, that wafer and wine thing. Gibson has his own church now. He built it. Uh, he has the mass still in Latin. Uh, he has found fellow travelers in Protestant evangelicals whose absolutism or literal beliefs echo his own. Fundamentalism seems to be a kind of psychological set. 
uh, a predisposition for uh, the absolute, you know, for um, the known. No, no room for doubt. Uh, what we need here is authority. You know, big guys with big sticks, sky gods, Zeus with that thunderbolt, and Wotan and Yahweh, all the big daddies of myth and song. <laughs> yes, the strong man makes us feel safe. For secular humanists, like me, I guess, uh, the primate grandiosity of these human silverbacks, the jockocrats, um, the tyrants, uh, this should be a subject for anthropologists, you know, um, cultural anthropologists, I guess. You know, the petri dish these days is the Middle East. Boys will be boys, and the girls are fast learners. Uh, the times are ever-changing, and this resurgence of retro forces, this lurch to the right, does seem to be gaining on us. One thread runs back to Ronald Reagan, 1980. I remember, it hit me, I was watching the Rambo movies back then, and... I got, I got in touch with, <laughs> yes, that syndrome. What was it? It's an adolescent boy's syndrome. Suffering martyr and conquering hero. Two sides of the same coin. That was Rambo's shtick. Um, he kept saying that he had fought for his mother, his country, yes. And, uh, his mother didn't love him. Uh, yes, he was, uh, it was about the, um, Missing in action in uh, Vietnam. And uh, then we saw the militarism of Bush the First. And this little bell rang in my head. Uh, and Bush uh, the First announced that we had kicked the Vietnam syndrome. And I thought, my God, it isn't a syndrome. It was a war. Millions died. But then I thought, no, no, it's about his manhood. It's about how he feels. And uh, back then, of course, I tried to dismiss these cultural changes, these bleeps. I kept thinking, well, you know, they're floundering. They're just trying to be free. Uh, I watched Arnold Schwarzenegger, yes. <laughs> the real messiah in Conan the Barbarian. And I thought, well, now this guy is not without humor. In that picture, we had cartoon characters. Uh, they were mock heroic. So I thought, well, okay, they're making fun of themselves. The re-release of Monty Python's The Life of Brian, I think, is the best response to Mel Gibson's current efforts. But in Conan, Arnold Schwarzenegger, yes, Conan, is crucified on the tree of woe. And at some point... Uh, when he's changed to the trivial, he's attacked by buzzards. Now, Mel Gibson steals this bit. He has a raven attack one of the thieves nailed up next to Jesus. But in the Conan movie, Conan grabs this big buzzard, this bird, and he drinks buzzard blood and revives himself, yes, and carries on, survives. Uh, on the screen in Conan, there's a quote from Frederick Nietzsche, whatever doesn't kill you makes you strong. Yes, 
That's definitely a bodybuilder slogan. I did love that picture. James Earl Jones played the evil one, Tulsa Doom. He tells a member of his cult, a girl, he says, Come to me, my child, and she steps off a cliff, falls to her death. And uh, Tulsa Doom turns to Conan and tells him, There, there you see, people. Not weapons are the things to own. <laughs> yes, it's all about crowd control. Any religious leader or business executive can tell you that. Mm -hmm. The final line from Tulsa Doom is interesting. He says to Conan the Barbarian, Without me, you would never have been. I thought of that line. Looking at the Antichrist figure at the end of Mel Gibson's movie, definitely the source of Mel Gibson's uh, pain, wounds, whatever it is that's bugging him, is a um, demonic figure. Anyway, uh, uh, <laughs> if Mel is getting in touch with his inner demons... He's also riding the zeitgeist for all it's worth, the spirit of our age. Today is the fifth anniversary of that massacre in uh, at the Columbine High School. Dreadful, horrible thing to remember. Uh, but as we know, sadism sells, at least um, at the movie theater. Mel Gibson doesn't bother with the uh, narrative, that is, you know, with cause and effect, um, he just goes straight to the slaughter, the passion, that is, the suffering, the act, the ritual. Um, the women are there to just mop up the blood. Even the wife of Pontius Pilate, she brings the towels and gives them to the two Marys, and they soak up the blood. Um, Mel doesn't do what almost every Hollywood filmmaker has done in the past. That is, he doesn't spice up the movie with sex, uh, his women are pure. They're there to do the weeping. That's it. That's all it's about. Uh, actually, I looked up the word maudlin, and it derives from the word magdalen. Interesting, isn't that? Uh, yes. Magdalen, the maudlin woman who weeps. Uh, like so many storytellers, Mel combines Mary Magdalen with the woman taken in adultery. You know, put them all in one character. This movie will doubtless win a few awards for the costumes and the sets. Uh, it certainly is awesome, the cinematography, that is. Uh, the overhead shots at the end, they they use figures, they go into the iris of an eye. It's quite a vision. It's the sort of thing that film students will study for years to come. <laughs> Mel Gibson says that... Uh, if there weren't any fur flying, well, then uh, he he would know he hadn't done anything. He seems to believe that he's being a rebel. Vroom, vroom, push the envelope, that kind of talk. I, I think he sees himself as a Christian soldier. Uh, uh, he sees threats to his belief system on the horizon, you know, the infidel. Or he's just a uh, plain paranoid. Uh, as you may have read everywhere... Uh, Mel Gibson resists his church's efforts for change, beginning with Vatican II. As Messianic males go, he may not be 
quite as dangerous as George W. Bush. Uh, of course, George is the fellow with the bomb. Uh, <laughs> whether or not you think it's all a medieval nightmare um, or just plain paranoia depends on where you sit. I'm never sure whether these guys are moral idiots or just unsophisticated. Um, this has been Jennifer Stone. And I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. invited to commemorate the 24th anniversary of the Amazir or Berber Spring with local Amazir bands, dancers, and guest speakers. Tuesday, April 20th at 8 p.m. at Ashkenaz in Berkeley. This is also a benefit. All proceeds will go to the victims of the recent earthquake in Morocco. For more info, call 510-527-7429 or visit ashkenaz.com. Please be there.